You know, it was kind of a mix. It was always this mix of gratitude to even be at this stage, while also sheer pain at being at this stage. <laughs> Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I am your host, author Sarah Nicholas and literary agent Sarah N. Fisk. Sarah Souk lives in Vancouver, Canada, where she writes stories and admires mountains. She is the author of young adult novels Made in Korea and The Space Between Here and Now, as well as the co-writer of John Cho's middle grade novel Troublemaker. When she's not writing, you can find her hanging out by the water, taking film photos, or eating a bowl of bingsu. So please welcome Sarah to the show. Hello. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I didn't know you co-wrote a book with John Cho. That's exciting. Well, yeah, I did. That came out early 2022 in March. It's a middle grade novel about the 1992 LA riots, a historical Oh. Yeah, so that, yeah, I really enjoyed working on that with him. (laughs) Fun. Mm -hmm. All right. Today, we're going to talk about your journey to publication. And we're going to start by going kind of all the way back to the beginning. When did you first start getting interested in writing? And then how long did it take from then before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? So I was definitely one of those kids who always dreamed about being an author. I wanted to be a writer ever since I was, I want to say grade four, like very early on. I was an avid reader, loved reading. And I think my earliest stories were like me copying books that I love, just pretty much <laughs> word for word on a piece of paper, just changing <laughs> the character's name. Uh, and then as a kid, I don't know if you're familiar with Neopets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a virtual pet site where you like have these Neopets and you, you know, feed them jelly and you can paint them various yeah costumes and whatnot. Uh, So I used to write short stories for the Neopian Times, which is like a newspaper that this virtual pet site had. It was just about like my Neopets getting up to hijinks and some of them were inspired by Korean drama. So my Neopets would like lose their memories and have to try to find their way back home. It was a whole thing. Uh, And then I used to write fan fiction in high school. I took a creative writing class in high school as well. So it was just something that I always really enjoyed. I always knew I wanted to be an author. So in university, I applied for the creative writing major, and then I got rejected from the creative major, (laughs) so I did not get in. So instead, I studied English literature and minored in creative writing because at my school, there was no bar of entry for the minor. You Mm -hmm. just say you're doing the minor. So I took the minor and majored in English Lit, which basically means I read a lot of books, And I took classes where I wrote songs, I wrote screenplays, I wrote nonfiction pieces, just a whole variety of things. I found it really interesting to learn from people who were doing a variety of mediums of writing Mm -hmm. that I would never have considered otherwise. So it was really fun. I had a great time. But it wasn't until my very last semester of school, right before I was about to graduate, I took a writing for children's class. And this was actually when I started writing my first ever manuscript. So even though I always knew from a young age that I wanted to write books, I was just writing so many other things, but never actually (laughs) tried to write a book until this point. So in this class, the project was to outline a novel. So I started outlining a middle grade fantasy book in this class. I think that really helped to have it be kind of like 
this is the project of the class. And the second thing that really helped from that class was we broke off into these kind of critique groups in the class where we'd share pages with each other every, every class and, you know, we would read each other's work and whatnot. And I happened to be in a group with a group of girls who all also wanted to write young adult and middle grade fantasies or variety of genres but at the time in that class we were all writing these fantasies so we all kind of clicked we really clicked with each other it was super coincidence we just happened to be sitting on the same side of the classroom Mm -hmm. when we met Um, and then we liked each other so much that we kept up kind of that writing group feel after the class was over after that semester ended it was April around April was Camp NaNoWriMo Mm -hmm. so NaNoWriMo is takes place in November it's a challenge to write 50k words in the month but camp is kind of a little different it's more like you set your own goal versus like the standard 50k so camp NaNoWriMo took place in April and we decided to participate in that together so we entered an online cabin together we would update each other on our progress and during that camp I actually finished the first draft of that middle grade fantasy I had started writing in that class That was a really, really big turning point, I would say, and meeting those friends was a big turning point because it was the first time I really met other people who wanted to be authors and who also wanted to be specifically kid lit authors. Uh, So I think it kind of opened up my eyes to like, oh, this isn't just a dream that I had as a kid. This is like a real thing that people are pursuing and (laughs) I can pursue. And I think that really kind of launched me forward into taking publication more seriously So even though it was something I knew I always wanted to do, it wasn't until those things kind of started rolling into place that I really started to do it, if that makes sense. Mm, Yeah. How did you learn more about the publishing industry, like how it works, how to query all those different things? I think that it really helped to have those friends. A lot of them already had some knowledge about it, which helped. I just kind of like hopped on and was like, tell me more (laughs) about what you know. So I think I was really fortunate in that I met people in person that were really lovely and willing to share what they knew. Another big thing that really helped at that time was Twitter. So there was a big writing community on Twitter and a lot of people were very generous and willing to share advice and tips. Also, not just on Twitter, but through Twitter, they would share links to blogs or links to posts that talked about these things about querying and the publishing process, getting an agent, what that looked like, how to write a query letter. So definitely online was a big way that I learned about a lot of that stuff. Another big kind of turning point for me in that journey from finishing the first draft to getting something query ready was entering this program called Author Mentor Match. Um, So at this time, Author Mentor Match had just started. This was round one. And what this was, was basically like a writer mentorship program. Unagented writers, such as myself at that time, would submit a manuscript into a group of mentors. And these mentors are either agented or already published. And the mentor would help the mentee kind of polish up their manuscript and get it query ready. Um, So I entered this program. I got in and my mentor also really helped a lot with figuring out the whole query trench landscape. (laughs) Very daunting and scary uh, at the time. Still so, I think. I think (laughs) we're still like when I think about it, I'm like, man, that was was a rough time. Um, (laughs) But she helped me out a lot with navigating like, polishing up my query letter, polishing up my manuscript. Even before submitting it to her, I actually spent a couple years 
revising that manuscript. So from the point that I had finished that first draft in Camp NaNoWriMo, it took me some time to get it readable, I should say. Like first draft was definitely like for my eyes only. If anyone else saw this, <laughs> you would not know what they're looking at. So I think it really helped to do kind of my own revisions for a long time, to take my own time with it. I would say that that book was the one that really taught me how to write a book and how to revise a book in terms of like how I learned to do that. I don't know. I think even now when I think about it, I'm like, how do, how do I do it even now? I'm not sure. <laughs> a lot of trial and error. Um, but I got it polished enough to send to this mentorship program. And then my mentor helped me polish it up some more with feedback, I looked over my query letter, and then I was ready to start querying from that point onward. All right. Perfect segue. So then what happened? Can you break down for us your journey from then to signing your first book contract? The query trenches. <laughs> Let me re-enter that place in my mind. So I started querying with the middle grade fantasy. Um, and I was super excited because it took me a long time to revise this book. And I was working many different jobs at the time. So it was kind of like, you know, piecemeal whenever I had time to do work on it. It's like, okay, I'm finally ready to query. It feels like a big milestone. Sent it out. Um, and it took a long time. Uh, I think if I'm remembering correctly, I think the total amount of time from the very first query I sent to offer was seven months, which I think to some people is short and to some people is long, you know, it's kind of like what is time when it comes to query trenching. So is query trenching, is that a verb? I don't know. <laughs> I think you just coined it. Anyway, I was there trenching along, I guess, if that is a real, hopefully not an inappropriate <laughs> word. God, I don't know. But um, I was there querying. I sent it out in batches as I was advised to do. Uh, I got a number of full requests, but it never really penned into anything so I sent out a last batch, but after that batch, I was kind of like, you know what? I don't think it's going to happen. It's been months. You know, all the full requests have kind of led nowhere. So I decided to shelve the book. So in my mind, I mentally shelved it and I started working <laughs> on something else. And then one day I was at the library, just at one of the group study tables, and I was just mm. working on my new manuscript when I got an email from an agent. And this agent said, Hi, Sarah. Like, so sorry it took me so long to get back to you. Just catching up now. Is this still available to read? Um, and I was like, you know what? Whatever. Yeah, it's still available. I didn't say that in the email. In my mind, I was like, oh, this is, you know, I've had this happen before, but mm -hmm. I'll just send it. So I just I was like, sure, it's still available. I sent her the full uh, manuscript. And then a week later, she asked me for a call. So I was... I was like, oh, she wants to have a call. What does this mean? I've never been <laughs> in the process before. So I took the call and to my great surprise, because in my mind, the book had already been shelved, she offered representation. Hmm. Um, and we got along really well on the phone call. I asked all my questions and I ended up signing with this agent. And it really felt like a second chance in a way. Like, wow, like I didn't think this book would go anywhere. I kind of mentally, you know, had tried to move on from it, but it felt like a second kind of this beacon of hope in a way. So I was really excited. Um, but because it had been, uh, it had been pretty tough for me in the query trenches, I wanted to do some revisions. I kind of thought of ways to make it stronger. So I revised it for a while and then we went out on submission with it. 
which means we started sending it out to editors at publishing houses. And again, similar to when I first started reading, <laughs> I was like, this is so exciting. I was like, this is such a great milestone. I've only dreamed of getting to this point in writing. Um, super exciting. And, you know, it was kind of a mix. It was always like this mix of gratitude to even be at this stage while also sheer pain at being at this <laughs> stage. I didn't hear anything for a long time. We got a lot of rejections. Being on submission, I found it almost more difficult than querying because I found that with querying, a lot of it was like, you know, it was still under my control in a mm-hmm. way. Uh, like I know a lot of things were not in my control once you send it out there, but it was in my control. Like I could revise the book. I could try to make it better. I could, you know, tweak the query. Maybe the query is not working. But when you're out on sub, it kind of just feels like, okay, it this is the best it's going to be at this point in time. And, you know, we just kind of have to leave it up to leave it up to whatever happens at that point. So we went out on, on submission. Yeah, I'm not going to lie, it was painful because I think I felt this sense of great hope that it would sell and that my, you know, long dream since Neopet fan fiction <laughs> writing, you know, since that time period in my life that perhaps it would come true. And I kind of felt like this book got a second life from this agent who requested it or who signed me after so many months of being in the query trenches. I kind of felt like I was losing that second chance in a way, if that makes sense. Mm. Or that I wasn't making the most of it. I, I had kind of dropped the ball in the way. I kind of felt a lot mm. really hard on myself around that, I think. Like I got the second chance and we got all the way here, got to submission, got to editors who were like, we think this is great, but yeah. you know, I, I think I felt really like, oh man, I was so close. And like, what could I have done better? Like, what could I have done? So on and so forth. But I think at some point I realized, you know, there's nothing really that I would have changed up until mm-hmm. that point. Like, I think I really did. I give my best. And, you know, to get to that point was even amazing. And I think I, I just felt like I need to let it go, you know, and let go of those feelings of, you know, second chances and whatnot, because it is what it is at the end of the day. And to even be here, I was just grateful to have made it to that point. But I don't think it was healthy for me to continue to like kind of beat myself up about it, you know. So I kind of, you know, accepted that I did my best for this. So I'm gonna, again, at least mentally put it aside and start working on something new. So at that time, I was inspired to write a young adult rom-com about teens selling Korean beauty products at school. I always knew that I wanted to write across age groups as well as across genres. So it didn't really deter me that I was out on sub with a middle grade fantasy, but I wanted to write now a young adult rom-com because in my mind, I was like, you know, this is the kind of career I want. I want to write a lot of different things. So I started writing this. And then as that middle grade fantasy quietly we went on on submission with the young adult rom-com and the reason I mentioned that library before the one where I got my agent uh, email was I was at this library again and (laughs) my agent calls me while I'm at the library and she's like Sarah we have an offer on made in Korea your young adult rom-com and I was so I remember I was like just standing in the shelves and you know it was quiet in the library so I was like what 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 are you talking about I was like whisper shouting in the shelves. Um, She told me about the deal, about the offer. And then I remember I hung up the phone. I walked out of the library and I just started crying. And I was just 
bawling outside of the library. I called my family. I remember my brother picked up the phone and he like thought something terrible happened. He oh, was no. like, oh, wow, like, what's going on? <laughs> and I think I just felt so overwhelmed in that moment because it felt like a culmination of everything, I guess. A culmination of dreaming as a kid of one day writing these books, culmination of, you know, going through post-secondary. The rejections, I would say, like started then of not getting into a program of all the agent rejections that followed, the editor rejections that followed, and then just realizing like, oh my God, this is actually going to happen. There's going to be a book with my name on it. And I think that was such a startling, like, moment that this could, this is actually going to be a real thing after so many years of just almost having it feel like a pipe dream in a way. So I think that was just a lot of emotions for me that day. Uh, And that was my debut novel. So I signed the contract for that. And then that's how it happened. Awesome. (laughs) All right. It is time for the first cue of the podcast. Can you read your successful query letter for us? So this query letter was for that middle grade fantasy that... Mm -hmm. I wrote and signed my agent with all fairies in Minsora, a war torn island divided into north and south, are born with wings, except for twins. Eleven year old Nara dreams of following her mother's footsteps into southern Minsora's prestigious academy, where fairies learn to grow teeth into plants. But when she is rejected because she is a twin and cannot fly, her dreams crumble like an oatmeal cookie. A second chance appears when an incident occurs and southern Minsora's leader, the tooth fairy, loses her portal key to earth. Desperate to find it and not lose power to the godmother in the north, the Tooth Fairy offers a wish as a prize to whoever can bring it back. Nara accepts the challenge and sets out on a journey with her twin brother to find the lost key and win her way into the academy. However, she finds much more than she bargained for when she stumbles across a pineapple full of secrets, a kidnapping fairy fox, and a well-mannered boy with a fear of the dark and a mysterious link to the north. Through her discoveries, Nara realizes there is a larger force behind the lost key and must decide what is more important, her old dreams or a new path. Minsora is a Korean-inspired middle-grade fantasy complete at 60,000 words with series potential and will appeal to readers of whimsically quirky tales such as Furthermore and The Water and the Wild. I am an author, mentor, match, round one mentee, a bookstore sleuth, aka fundraising lead for Write on Con 2018, and a full-time ice cream enthusiast. Per your submission guidelines, please find the first 20 pages of my manuscript below. Thank you for taking the time to review my query. Nice. Thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. So how has your experience been since signing that contract? Especially let us know if there were any surprises along the way. Uh, my experience has been good. <laughs> I think it has been overall good. Uh, I think that top publishing is very tumultuous. So it's so hard to say how it is. I feel like every day is so different. I say Mm -hmm. good because overall, I think it's been very good. I feel like it's been wonderful to have that dream come true. Um, It's been challenging to have your dreams become a reality because reality is often a lot more thorny than what you envision as a child when you're just thinking of like, oh yeah, one day I want to be this. Um, So I think there are, of course, a lot of challenges there. I think the biggest one, of course, is that COVID happened. Uh, So I signed Mm -hmm. my contract before COVID in 2019 and the book came out in 2021. So my debut was a pandemic debut. So I think that was very challenging in that 
I mean, yeah, sure. I mean it's very challenging in that it was it was a lot, I think, and everybody probably, you know, needs no explanation for this. But even just an example is going to events or having events or being mm-hmm. great launches and, you know, doing various things like that, I think was challenging. Although I will say by the time Made in Korea came out, it was 2021. And where I live, bookstores were open at that time. So we still weren't doing events, but I remember going into the bookstore the day my book came out and seeing <laughs> it, and that was really lovely. I would say it has been very challenging. I think it's a challenge for authors to balance the art part of being an author, the creation mm. part, the writing part, and then the more business aspect of it, learning how to promote your own book, marketing, especially during a pandemic, what does that look like? Juggling a lot of that more business side of author life. So I think that was that was quite a challenge, but also something that I found I actually really enjoyed. So I think that was interesting for me to learn about myself. I kind of started taking on the mentality that I'm not just a writer, but I'm the CEO of my own business. So I kind of started thinking more about like, what would a CEO do? What would a CEO envision Mm. for this business so I kind of thought of it like that like me being the entire business but still nevertheless thinking about like what kind of culture do I want to build for myself what kind of things do I want to fight for what are my values what's important for me so I think that mentality shift kind of happened gradually after signing the contract working on books um, working on more books after that and I think learning how to stand up for myself and fight for what I want to see for my career and for my business as both the author, the creator and the CEO. So I think that really was a big learning curve that I'm still on. But I would say it it kind of began from that point onward. Nice. All right. It is time for the quick round. I call it author DNA. Are you a pantser or a plotter? Planter, as they say. (laughs) Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter? Oh, totally underwriter, 100%. Do you prefer to write in the morning or at night? Probably the morning. Now the morning. Yeah. When starting with a new project, do you typically start with character or plot or concept or something else first? I would say concept, like the general idea. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Oh, definitely tea. I can't really drink coffee. (laughs) It's too jittery. (laughs) When writing, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? Either silence or instrumental music. When it comes to the first draft, are you more of a get it down kind of person or a get it right kind of person? 100% get it down. (laughs) (laughs) What tools or software do you use to draft? Only Microsoft Word. Do you prefer drafting or revising more? When I'm drafting, I prefer revising. And when I'm revising, I prefer (laughs) but probably revising overall. Do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? Sequential order. And final quick round question, are you an extrovert or an introvert? Introvert, but social introvert. I do enjoy people. (laughs) Now it's time for the second cue of the podcast. What were some of the qualms or worries you had on your journey? And were they realized or, you know, how did that shake out? I can think of two off the top of my head. The first is that general kind of worry I talked about before about like, is this a pipe dream? Is this ever going to happen for me? I'm not sure. I think that at every point in the process, that question came up like, oh, is this going to work out? Mm-hmm. Is this going to happen? 
I think before I signed with an agent and, you know, it's just you and your story and figuring out how to write a book, what that even looks like. I was like, wow, I don't even know what I'm doing. Like, is this going to work <laughs> out? And then after I signed with my agent, it was like a foot in the door, it felt like, and it was a great milestone. But that feeling didn't quite go away. It just kind of evolved a little bit. It's like, you know, I signed with an agent. And this is such a great point in my career. But that feeling of like, I don't really know what I'm doing. Is this going to work out? It didn't really dissipate. Uh, it just kind of, again, evolved. And then selling the book was, again, amazing. It was a total dream come true. But again, the feeling was like, oh, God, like, I don't know really what I'm doing here. So I think it was uh, every single point kind of wondering, like, is it gonna work out? Am I gonna be okay? Can I do this? I guess was mm-hmm. the question, if I'm gonna boil it down is can I do this? Yeah, I think that that was something that I probably still struggle with. I think that question still definitely crops up now. But now I think I've come to a point where I've fully embraced that question or the mystery of that question and kind of understanding that that will probably never quite go away because nobody knows the future and nobody knows what will happen. But I think in that, like, can I do this? I think it's it's moved more away from like the anxiety of it to the potential of it, like, tapping more into the potential of what can I do or what is possible versus mm-hmm. I think it, before it was a lot more of like an anxious feeling of like, Ooh, like, I don't know, like if I can, now it's more like, can I do this? What will it look like? Versus like, I don't know if it's even possible. So I think that's kind of evolved. And I think that that came with confidence as I was writing more and sharing more and getting more feedback and getting better and improving in my craft. And as an artist, I think I, feel like I kind of grew into that identity more over time. Yeah, I would say that that question was a big qualm that has now kind of turned into like a companion in a way that helps mm-hmm. me out. And that kind of keeps me grounded and, you know, helps me see my potential. So that that's an interesting one for me. And then the second one, a big qualm that I felt like I had during like querying and being on submission was this feeling of scarcity I think they call it like the scarcity mentality where Mm -hmm. there's only room at the table for one Korean story for example Mm -hmm. Um, so I think I definitely felt that a lot and I think part of it is because the industry does make you feel that way uh, in the sense of you know even at any kind of in the querying level or the submission level, you know, myself included and friends of mine have received comments like, oh, we already have a story mm-hmm. like yours. We already have kind of like a Korean story or something along those lines, whether directly or indirectly. I think we've all had kind of like a mix of those responses. And that's really, I think that's quite disheartening because it makes you feel like your community is your competition and it makes you feel like there is such few slots for people like us or in my example like a Korean writer so I think that was really challenging for me to think about and that definitely felt like you know it felt so unjust and so unfair and so you know I don't want to see my community in this way but it kind of feels like the industry pushes you to feel that way Mm. it felt simultaneously like not true but also true if that makes sense Mm -hmm. because of the way the system of publishing is structured but again I think over time I think what I came to realize is like, you know what, I don't I don't describe to that mentality, like no matter what the publishing industry is trying to do, they, they'll do what they'll do in a sense, but I don't need to believe in that, I think is kind of where I where I where I kind of settled. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like, you know, this is my community. And there's a I think there's a quote that says, 
a rising tide lifts all ships or something mm-hmm. in that sense. So I think, you know, I felt like the best thing I can do is to support my community, not to view them as competition. Um, and I really felt like these are the people who, again, are making spots for me. So even looking to the trailblazers like Asian American, Asian Canadian authors who have published long before I did and thinking of all that they've done for the community and only because of what they did, there is more room. So I think realizing like, you know, we're the ones, we as authors, like we're the ones we make room for each other and not just us as agents, editors, people in publishing who are actively fighting to make room for others. I realized like I want to be part of that, like making room for other people and making room for myself and extending more chairs as there should be. So I think that that was really an empowering way to think about it in that the system might make you feel a certain way about what it is. And maybe it is that way, but people are actively working to fight against that. And if that's the case, I don't want to be sitting here thinking about like, oh, scary, that so, so sucks, you know, that's such a, such a pity. Like, I want to be part of that, like actively fighting to make more room and more space. But, you know, in the grand scheme, I just think again of trailblazers who have really been in it for like years and years. But even in the years that I've been in this industry now, seeing how many more diverse titles are out there, way more than I could have ever imagined when I was growing up and knowing like there, it is, growing and the only antidote to that scarcity mentality is for it to continue to grow and for there to be many titles and for there to be many seats at the table. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that it's been really encouraging to see the fruits of the people who have really fought for this. And, you know, I hope to continue to be part of that because I don't want anyone to ever feel that there's scarcity because everyone's stories are so unique and different and, you know, close to their heart and no one can tell it like they can. So I hope that, you know, we can all kind of work together to disband that scarcity mentality for sure. Nice. It is time for the third cue of the podcast. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that you think is kind of different or interesting or unique? I like to keep a writing journal slash calendar. So um, all of my writing days, I'll start with the journal and I'll write down my goal for the day or what I'm trying to do. And then at the end of the day, if I have achieved that goal or semi achieved that goal, anything remotely about that goal, I give myself a sticker. So <laughs> I have like a sticker chart that I use to kind of track well, I say it's to track my goals. It's mostly to use my stickers, but <laughs> it's also a great way to keep track of like where I'm at in the story. Did I, you know, are the goals I'm setting for myself realistic? How am I doing? Um, but also, again, a great excuse to buy all my stickers that I want to buy. Nice. When you were in the lowest parts of your journey, whatever that may have been for you, what kept you going and why did you stick with it? Yeah, there's a lot of low parts in the journey. I think I can just think of like a lot of times where I felt very like very, very low (laughs) for lack of better words, but I never really actually ever thought about stopping or quitting like it would never really cross my mind. Uh, And I think that's just because I love to write. I love writing, I love stories, and I loved the journey of it, I think, at the end of the day. Even though there were so many lows, and even though there were these milestones that I wanted to hit, I really loved the process, and I knew that I pro- I could never let that go. And I think that question, too, 
the one I mentioned of like, can I do it? Um, that has now turned into more of like tapping into my own potential. I think even then, even though it was more anxiety ridden then, I think I felt like I wanted to see what I could do too. So I didn't want to give up at any point. Yeah, I don't know. I just really love writing and stories. And I also love the people that I met through the process of it. And I think uh, working together in a way, even though we're all doing our own thing, working on our own stories, I think getting encouragement from them and kind of moving along together on this journey really bolstered me too and gave me kind of a courage to continue going because I felt like I wasn't alone. Thanks. Do you feel like you made any mistakes along the way that you'd like to warn listeners about so maybe they don't make the same ones? I don't think I would change anything about Mm -hmm. what I did. I mean, this is very cliche, but I think everything happened the way that it was meant to happen. Mm -hmm. I think at every point in time, I did the best with what I had at that time. Like, for example, at querying, I researched agents the best I could with the information I had at the time. Mm-hmm. So, or like um, working on my books, I think I wrote them in the way that I could best write at the time. Even if now looking back, I'd be like, oh, I would do that differently. I would do this differently. It's only because now I've changed as a person, not necessarily because I made a mistake then. Although I will say, I guess one thing, this is specifically about my query letter, uh, since this is about querying. There was a line in my query letter that I remember reading now and I was like, oh, I would change that. (laughs) There's something along like her dreams crumble like an oatmeal cookie. I think that was the line. (laughs) Um, And I remember, I think now, I think I I feel like, you know, it's a great visceral line that I still like, but oatmeal cookies have nothing to do with this world at all. Mm. I think I would offer a detail that provided more world building detail that Mm -hmm. was specific to the book versus like a random simile that I just (laughs) so I guess you know I I don't know if I call it a mistake since you know it was what it was at the time but I I guess that's like a bit of a a tip I would use if if you have an opportunity to slide in something more specific to your story versus something more general go specific (laughs) yeah in general that's great advice that's generally what I'm saying when I'm critiquing queries is be more specific yes yes Can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons that you learned on your journey to publication? One of the most important lessons is to have fun. I think that's something that I really subscribe to. And I think that's, um, I think that was kind of my mantra for my debut novel is that I really wanted to have fun during my launch and my debut year. So even though it was COVID, even though there was a lot of things I thought I would do, but didn't get to do, I just tried to make it as fun as possible. So I know what I enjoy. I know what's fun for me. I think that's different for everybody. So I don't think you have to do anything that you don't want to do when it comes to book promo launching or anything on this, anything on the journey, like you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. You just do what's fun for you and make it as fun for you as possible. This journey has a lot of highs and a lot of lows and the highs are very high, but the lows are very low, I think, as we talked about before. So doing what you can to celebrate all the little things and to have as much fun as you can. I like to think that I am having a great time, even though it's very low a lot of the time. <laughs> uh, so that's why I think, you know, when you asked how has it been, it's been hard and it's been tough, but it's also been a lot of fun because I think I, I try to make it fun for myself. Mm-hmm. I kind of call this the acknowledgements portion of the podcast. This is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. Who are some of the people who helped you along the way and how? I think the first people that come to mind, of course, are my agent and my editor. 
They are the people who, without them, my books would literally not exist. So they're definitely the ones that come to mind. That critique group that I mentioned that I met in university, we're still friends now. We're still close friends. I still see them like pretty much, I think we try to meet every month. And it's been so cool to see how each of us have come, how far each of us have come in our writing journeys and in our stories and where we're at with that. So it's been, I think we try to celebrate also like our anniversary of when we met because we met in January (laughs) when the class started. So Mm -hmm. in the upcoming January, I think we're celebrating eight years. I want to say so yeah it's been really fun to have a group of friends to kind of journey through this together we call ourselves the godmothers as the godmothers of each other's stories so <laughs> writing group and I'm very fortunate to also have uh, another writing group called the Kim Chingus, which is like my <laughs> Korean diaspora author group so they've been wonderful a huge support we kind of came together before any of us had published a book I think only mm-hmm. one of us had an agent at that time so that's been kind of amazing to see all of us coming together um, and then we all published a book in 2020 two of us in 2021 and two of us too <laughs> so it just kind of miraculously happened in succession like that so it's been really wonderful to have that shared kind of the Korean diaspora author experience with them has been really mm-hmm. been really meaningful and of course my mentor from author mentor match who really helped me out and all the friends that I've kind of met along the way in publishing. I think it's so important to have writer friends in this whole journey, but I think it's also equally just as important to have non-writing friends who (laughs) remind you that like, hey, there's a world outside of publishing. There's a world Mm -hmm. of books, which I feel like I often forget because I get so like sucked into this world and everything but it's really nice to have friends who know nothing about publishing and who just (laughs) wow you wrote that's so awesome you know because I think for authors we often forget that like what we're doing is cool (laughs) so to all like my friends and family I think they really support me a lot I'm really lucky to have a lot of great people in my life both in publishing and out who support me a lot All right, Sarah, before you go, can you tell us about, because we haven't heard a lot about it, your debut novel? Oh, yeah. So Made in Korea was my debut novel. It is a young adult rom-com about two teens that sell Korean beauty products at school. They go head to head to outsell each other and maybe fall in love along the way. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with everyone. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find the text of Sarah's query in the show notes, along with links to find out more about her and her books. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate if you'd help me find new listeners by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, telling your friends, or sharing this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash Sarah Nicholas. That's Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. Again, that is Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.